You're listening to Trans Advocate Essays. If you like hearing Trans Advocate Essays, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash transadvocate. Our misogynist, homophobe and turf slurs by Christian Williams. Narrated by Nikki Delgado. I received notice that an opinion leader in the sex essentialist activist community had linked to one of my articles titled You Might Be a Turf If. The article lists explicit instances of ideological hate and real life violence, up to and including attempted murder, carried out in the name of a form of sex essentialist feminism that developed in the US during the mid to late 1970s. The Feminist Current, a site substantially dedicated to reifying the type of sex essentialism of the 1970s era movement, linked to my 2013 article as a recent example of uncritical reporting around the phenomena of trans-exclusionary radical feminism. When the media, institutions and authorities became aware that a particular term is being used to incite violence against women, it is their responsibility to condemn or simply refrain from encouraging the use of that language. And yet, we have seen various media outlets using the term uncritically of late. For a peer-reviewed look at the term TERF and the history of the sex-essentialist anti-trans movement presenting itself as radical feminism to an uncritical media please consider reading my paper from the Trans Studies Quarterly Journal of the Duke University Press linked to this trans advocate essay description. Unfortunately, what's missing from my peer-reviewed historical analysis of the trans and radical feminist versus sex essentialist activist, now decades-long controversy, is a review of the etiology of the TERF is a slur slogan that is most often asserted when any critique of TERF behaviour is made in comment sections on social media or in print. Here, I wish to rectify that oversight. The slur slogan, a timeline. I began encountering the TERF is a slur slogan in 2013, around a year after the political right experienced a measure of success with its 2012 homophobe is a slur campaign. The case was made that when discussing anti-queer hate in the news and anti-bullying efforts in schools, the term homophobia should not be used to describe the very specific type of anti-queer hate and oppression faced by LQBTQIA people because the term was an offensive slur. By the end of 2012, the Associate Press banned the term homophobe from its news coverage and right-wing religious groups were working to ban the term in anti-bullying school materials because... They claimed homophobe was a made-up term that promotes hate and contempt for Christians. If we were unable to use homophobe to describe people who are homophobic, in what ways does that limit the queer community's ability to accurately describe our socio-political situation? Without terms like homophobe and homophobia, the queer community's ability to communicate and reference a specific anti-gay culture is hobbled, caged inside of rhetorical perimeters defined by those who work to empower anti-gay culture. After homophobe and homophobia were deemed by a heteronormative culture to be too toxic to use, the queer community's languaging of the hate it faced each day disappeared from most mainstream media use. 
Sometime in 2013, sex essentialists who self-identify as radical feminists began pushing the slogans TERF is a slur and CIS is a slur on social media and blog posts. What follows is an excerpt of a 2013 essay by the sex essentialist activist Elizabeth Hungerford. Allen actually calls for more people to recognise radical feminists as a hate group and then poignantly adopts the term trans-exclusionary radical feminist, T-E-R-F, to refer to them throughout the article. Make no mistake, this is a slur. TERF is not meant to be explanatory, but insulting. These characterizations are hyperbolic, misleading and ultimately defamatory. They do nothing but escalate the vitriol and fail to advance the conversation in any way. Around this time, TERFs began pushing the false history that TERF was coined by trans people as a slur. Note how this rhetoric closely mimics the 2012 right-wing rhetoric that homophobe was a made-up term that promotes hate and contempt for Christians. In a 2014 New Yorker article subtitled The Dispute Between Radical Feminism and Transgenderism, Michelle Goldberg brought the idea that TERF was a slur into the mainstream. While trans-feminist author Giulio Serrano was interviewed by Goldberg for the story and took pains to explain the politics behind the turf is a slur slogan. Goldberg chose to quash that information in her article. Writing for The Advocate, Serrano addressed this bias. Some turfs claim that turf is a slur. Goldberg highlights this in her article, but never explains the reasoning behind it. From their point of view, which they have shared with me via their unprovoked attacks on me on Twitter, they should be referred to as MERFs, i.e. man-exclusive radical feminists, because they reject trans women, who they see as men, but not trans men, who they view as misguided women, who have been brainwashed by patriarchal and transgender agendas. Needless to say, an overwhelming majority of transgender people reject this framing of the issue. And there is nothing inherently demeaning about referring to people who exclude transgender people and issues from their movement as trans-exclusive. This is why I use the acronym TERF throughout this piece. In a follow-up piece on her own blog, Serrano described the personal effect of Goldberg's bias. As others have pointed out, only four trans women are quoted in the piece. Two of these side with the TERFs, which is extraordinarily rare. I know countless trans people, and while a few of them identify as radical feminists, none of them are pro-TERF. The remaining two trans women are Sandy Stone and myself, who seem to represent the progress made by transgender activism, especially within academia. In other words, we are painted as beneficiaries of a movement that has, in Goldberg's rendition of events, marginalised radical feminists. I don't appear in the piece until about 4,000 words into the 4,500-ish word article, and Stone is introduced at the very end. In other words, we appear well after readers have likely come to the conclusion that trans activism is out of control and unfairly oppresses TERFs. We are merely window dressing. We serve no purpose other than to give the impression that the article is fair and balanced, covering both sides of the issue, when in reality, it is not. By 2015, the CIS is a slur campaign was dealt a critical blow when the Oxford English Dictionary, OED, added the term cisgender to its dictionary. Webster's likewise announced that the addition of the term to their dictionary in 2016. 
Since the 2015 OED edition, the CIS is a slur campaign has largely evaporated, while activity around the turf is a slur campaign redoubled in 2016, the year Webster's added the term to their dictionary. In the print version of this essay, a Google Trends analysis of the usage of turf and turf is a slur is compared and contrasted. As expected, the first graph shows the term's emergence in 2008, the year it was popularised by cis feminists, followed by an uptake of the term within larger discourse sometime around 2013. The second graph marks the Turf is a Slur campaign's 2013 launch with a redoubling of activity between the 2015 and 2016 period. But Turf is used as a slur. Since 2013, I've most often encountered the Turf is a Slur slogan used in conjunction with a screenshot of a social media posts wherein a sex essentialist activist repeats the Turf is a Slur slogan accompanying a screen capture of someone saying something like, Kill all TERFs. Certainly, violent statements calling for TERFs to be killed is as morally wrong as it is ethically obtuse, and while such violent rhetoric should be condemned, does the existence of such rhetoric validate the turf is a slur slogan? Having said that, a simple Twitter search reveals how other feminist terms are used in social media discourse. What follows is but a sample of the type of dialogue found on Twitter. It's not a sin to kill a misogynist. Let's go kill a misogynist. Kill a misogynist, the road to full feminism. Since some people on Twitter post that racists and homophobes should be killed, does that mean that these terms are also slurs? Or does it merely mean that these and numerous other terms can be used as slurs by some people sometimes? Currently on Etsy.com, one can purchase a patch that reads Crucify the racists, bash all the homophobes. Does the existence of an Etsy store dedicated to selling patches like this validate what right-wing anti-queer activists said about homophobe? What about when an anti-gay media reports that anti-gay activists, referred to as street preachers in homophobic media sources, were called homophobes and beaten by no-hate activists? One such headline reads, Christian preacher brutally beaten at gay pride festival. The story recounts how the anti-equality activist was punched and kicked by people at a Seattle Pride festival. The article also recounts how other equality activists caused thousands of dollars in damage to the Portland or campus of Mars Hill Church, while gay rights protesters shouted profanities at children, calling them homophobes, and telling the boys and girls that they were going to burn. In thinking about the toxic nexus of Gamergate and the alt-right, how are feminists portrayed? Practically any user of social media will know the answer. Are misogynists correct when they assert that misogynist is a slur? Looking to a subreddit popular with TERFs and other sex essentialists for the answer, I find a community quite sceptical of the misogynist is a slur slogan. However, looking at sites popular with TERFs and other sex essentialist activists, one can read headlines such as TERF isn't just a slur, it's hate speech, accompanied with images of Hitler speaking. Speaking of Nazis, TERFs and the alt-right. In a recent Southern Poverty Law Centre, SPLC, Hate Watch report, the SPLC remarked on a disturbing trend they've observed among right-wing hate groups, a tendency to recruit sex-essentialist LGB and self-identified feminists to spread alt-right, anti-trans ideology. 
As Right Wing Watch also mentioned in their coverage of the same panel, a trend emerged during the session, as various speakers wrapped their opposition to non-discrimination measures in rhetoric passing as progressive. Transgender rights were depicted as anti-feminist, hostile to minorities and even disrespectful to LGB individuals. This seems to be part of a larger strategy, meant to weaken transgender rights advocates by attempting to separate them from their allies, feminists and LGBT rights advocates. During a recent right-wing convention, the executive director of Concerned Parents and Educators of Fairfax County, Meg Kilgannon, described how the political right is recruiting feminists and LGB people. Explain that gender identity rights only come at the expense of others. Women, sexual assault survivors, female athletes forced to compete against men and boys, ethnic minorities who culturally value modesty, economically challenged children who face many barriers to educational success and don't need another level of chaos in their lives, children with anxiety disorders, and the list goes on and on and on. The SPLC continues. For Kilgannon, an example of effective coalition building includes the Hands Across the Isle Coalition, H-A-T-A-C, a group that unites religious and non-religious women to oppose transgender rights. The co-founders of the group are sexual assault survivor Kaylee Triller-Harver and lesbian activist and radical feminist Miriam Ben-Shalom, who was discharged from the US Army for declaring herself a lesbian in 1976. Miriam Ben-Shalom, a TERF, was recently invited to speak at the Heritage Foundation with Kaylee Triller-Harver. The Christian Post reported that radical feminists, right-leaning Christians and a Jewish lesbian who is a former drill sergeant are uniting against gender identity laws. Miriam Ben-Shalom, co-founder of the Hands Across the Isle Coalition, appeared with the communications director for the Just Want Privacy campaign in Washington state. Kaylee Triller-Harver, also on the Heritage Foundation's panel, was board members of, as the Heritage Foundation asserts, the Women's Liberation Front. WOLF, the radical feminist organization that filed a lawsuit against the Obama administration to restore Title IX rights to women and girls. Wolf recently issued a letter to the Secretary of Health of the Washington State Department of Health, John Wiseman, demanding that the state cease changing gender designations on birth certificates. The letter was signed by Miriam Ben Shalom, Kaylee Triller Harver, and Meg Kilgannon. While you might have a sense for who Mel Kilgannon is from the SPLC Hatewatch report, allow me to introduce you to Kaylee Triller-Harver, the Washington bathroom bill crusader of the Just Want Privacy campaign. In a public post, Harver admits that when she was in charge of adolescence for a Christian organisation, she had sex with a kid and eventually became pregnant. For a full account of Harver's behaviour, along with her remarks to the trans advocate, see the Storify linked in this essay's description. Harvard was recently involved in a custody battle, yes, with the now-adult kid from the Christian organisation, wherein she was made to hire a guardian ad litem. In a Facebook post, Ben Shalom made light of the situation and volunteered to be the guardian ad litem for Harvard's child, before making a few transphobic remarks. Involved with both Harvard and Ben Shalom is Wolf, a radical feminist organisation funded by an anti-abortion James Dobson organisation. While this triangulation of so-called radical feminism and the political right might be new to the SPLC, it isn't new to trans people. The Tea Party politician Grey Glenn promoted turf talking points on his campaign site. 
outright media pundits like Robert Stacey McCain is a staunch supporter of turf activists. Even the hate group Westboro Baptist Church took to Twitter to reject criticisms of TERFs. Rhetoric power and liberation If, like homophobe and homophobia, Make It a Slur campaigns continue to remove queer and feminist language from the lexicon available to us. Our ability to language our experience will be confined to the parameters anti-equality activists set for us. Is that acceptable? Here I want to recount some important points by the pioneering trans-inclusive radical feminist Andrea Dworkin. One other discipline is essential both to the practice of feminism and to its theoretical integrity. The firm, unsentimental, continuous recognition that women are a class having a common condition. This is not some psychological process of identification with women because women are wonderful. Nor is it the insupportable assertion that there are no substantive treacherous differences among women. This is not a liberal mandate to ignore what is cruel, despicable or stupid in women. Nor is it a mandate to ignore dangerous political ideas or allegiances of women. This does not mean women first, women best, women only. It does mean that the fate of every individual woman, no matter what her politics, character, values, qualities, is tied to the fate of all women, whether she likes it or not. On one level, it means that every woman's fate is tied to the fate of women she dislikes personally. On another level, it means that every woman's fate is tied to the fate of women who she politically and morally abhors. For instance, it means that rape jeopardises communist and fascist women, liberal, conservative, democratic or republican women, racist women and black women, Nazi women and Jewish women, homophobic women and homosexual women. The crimes committed against women because they are women articulate the condition of women. The eradication of these crimes, the transformation of the condition of women, is the purpose of feminism which means that feminism requires a most rigorous definition of what those crimes are, so as to determine what that condition is. This definition cannot be compromised by a selective representation of the sex class based on sentimentality or wishful thinking. This definition cannot exclude prudes or sluts or dykes or mothers or virgins, because one does not want to be associated with them. To be a feminist means recognising that one is associated with all women, not as an act of choice, but as a matter of fact. The sex class system creates the fact. That men in our culture have a habit of treating trans women the way they wish they could treat cis women means that the trans misogyny trans women face is linked to the misogyny cis women face. This means that when a man stuck his penis inside my unconscious body's neo-vagina without a condom, he did so because culture identified me as a member of a class who should be raped if they are unconscious. That I am told to smile more by strangers, that I am catcalled for walking down the street, and that I am demeaned for not sexually engaging a man's online advances are all tied to the system of sexism cis women face. My liberation from my culture's sexist system will not happen without the liberation of all those sex essentialist activists who want trans bodies eradicated from the world. In this way, my fate as a trans woman is tied to the fate of every woman who personally hates me. Likewise, liberation from the sexist system each sex essentialist struggles in, from TERFs to theocrats who tell me my body violates the will of their particular deity, will not happen without the liberation of trans and intersex women as well.
The trans feminist Catherine Cross skillfully reminds us that trans women and cis women share the material effect of women hating. Men can often get away with doing absolutely anything to trans women, in particular, especially if we do sex work. That double stigma is a brand that says no one will miss you in invisible ink all over our bodies. Even as men lust after us, they want to destroy us as an extroverted act of revenge against all womankind, because they can. They say we're not real women, and yet do to us the things they wish they could do to other women. Their wives, their mothers, female politicians, the ball-busting boss, the ice queen who won't date them. We are in fact the canvas of so many cisgender men's own deeply unresolved psychological crises which themselves never make it to the front page of the Times Sunday Review in the form of hand-wringing editorial pity. I say this to call attention to the firm, unsentimental, continuous recognition that those who share in the efforts of women-hating share a destiny, like it or not. A sex-essentialist cis woman named Janice Raymond infamously asserted in her 1979 book The Transsexual Empire – the making of the shemale, that the problem of transsexualism would best be served by morally mandating it out of existence. She further claimed that people like me have a deeply decaying self that wasn't human in the way she herself was, that I was in fact merely a synthetic product and that my demise was at hand. Raymond went on to produce one third of the work for US government findings that led to the revocation of trans care for both public and private insurance. How much suffering is attributable to Raymond's attempt to mandate transness out of existence? How much animus has Raymond and other sex essentialist activists inspired? How many hours have sex essentialist activists of all stripes invested in objectifying trans women, viewing us as objects to be? As Dworkin wrote about the condition of women, noted, remarked on, explicated, analysed and, not infrequently, degraded in the very ways that men have degraded them as cis women. Were TERFs perpetuating the women-hating they face when they attempted to murder Sandy Stone for being a trans member of a radical feminist group? Were TERFs perpetuating the women-hating they face when they attempted to publicly bash the trans woman Beth Elliott and instead beat the radical feminists who used their own bodies as a shield to protect her? Were TERFs perpetuating the women-hating they face when they mobbed a group of trans-inclusive lesbian Avengers and then threatened the life of a 15-year-old trans girl with a knife? Were TERFs perpetuating the women-hating they face when they arranged to have Sylvia Riviera beaten? Were TERFs perpetuating the women-hating they face when they threatened cis and trans lesbians with physical violence? Were TERFs perpetuating the woman-hating they faced when they physically attacked cis people TERFs apparently took to be trans activists? For me, speaking the truth about whether TERF is a slur is to refuse to participate in dishonouring the bravery and courage of radical feminists who stood with their trans sisters. I won't dishonour their feminist ethic by ceasing to acknowledge the difference between the radical feminism of pioneering radical feminist organisations like Cell 16, the Olivia Collective or the Lesbian Tide Collective and the radical feminism that leads to TERFs like Raymond to objectify me as being without humanity. I'm not willing to treat TERFs the way men in this culture have treated me. This means I will not reenact upon TERFs the violence men in this culture have directed against my body. I will not claim that TERFs are without humanity. 
I will not use the terms men used as they grabbed me, held me down or hit me to describe the ideological character of TERFs. I will resist the harm TERFs and other sex essentialist activists cause through non-violence. I urge you to join me in this spirit of mutual liberation and never cease speaking the language of truth. If you like hearing trans advocate essays and podcasts, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher. Please rate and review us. This really helps our work become more visible. If you have any comments or suggestions for who we should interview next on our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter or through our contact form at transadvocate.com. Alternatively, you can call our tip line at 708 274 7826. If you're a member of the trans, intersex or genderqueer community and need help because you're a victim of an officially declared disaster, you can get it at our Trans Disaster Relief Fund at tdrfund.us. If you're a trans or a trans ally and are currently going to college or trade school, you can apply for one of our scholarships. Moreover, if you need help getting the word out about your trans community fundraiser, we'd love to help you get the word out. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 non-profit organisation. Lastly, remember to always register and vote no matter what.